0: morning everyone i'm very excited to bring this uh message this morning if you would turn to psalm 19 put your finger there or a marker and then also our primary passage this morning being luke chapter 8 we are looking this morning uh again in our series um our growing series we're looking at growing through devotion to the word this morning and what a tremendous setup with uh All these ladies uh, speaking and and reading the word of God, thank you Stella, especially you set my message up perfectly with your little testimony there. So I'm very thankful that uh, God's at work orchestrating uh, this morning, this occasion for you to encounter the living and powerful word of God. And uh, we are blessed people. We have the completed canon of scripture in our hands We are blessed that we probably have many copies of God's Word, several translations, maybe in our own hand. On your computer, you probably have the wealth of the ages in terms of God's Word and commentaries and messages. But with that this morning, we'll see there's a great stewardship and accountability with that. So, let's begin by asking God by Spirit to open our hearts to His Word. Our Father, we are grateful this morning to to be in your presence, to be gathered as your people. Thank you for uh, Elena's scripture this morning that we are are different and yet one. We are many members and yet one body. And you're the head. You're the one that gives direction, authoritatively moving within us by your Spirit to bring us to wholeness, to unity, to increased growth and maturity. And you do it in a mysterious combination of spiritual thoughts with spiritual words that impact us and cause us to become more spiritual people thank you father for the blessing of worshiping a god who speaks who communicates who shares uh deeply from your being to ours so that we might know you we might come into relationship we might find forgiveness of sin but then to know what it means to be your child and thank you that you have given us as scriptures say all that pertains to life and godliness and so we pray father we would cherish what we have become great stores of it and we ask father this morning you to open our minds and our hearts to the things you would say we pray in christ's name amen i uh I've been very blessed over the years, I grew up in a Christian family, was in a very good Bible teaching church, I went to Christian school for 8 to 12 years, I had four years of Bible college education, and the Word of God is very dear and special to me. Um, I also grew up in a very musical family, my dad was a professional musician, we had music all the time, Um, anything from jazz to show tunes to country music and a whole gamut of things, but of course when you hit your teenage years, you zone into the popular music of your day and I was no different, I will soon very clearly date myself but uh, recently we bought a new vehicle, we got a uh, a complimentary Sirius XM membership and when I found out there was a channel called The 70s on Channel 7, I was hooked that's the music I grew up listening to and my kids will tell you that there's this fairly stern rule that whoever's driving the car gets to set the radio and say, hey, thank you back there, thank you. I got one, okay? Maybe all the dads will, will raise their hand with that. But uh, so the 70s on, 7 on XM was uh, what they heard a lot. And, and my kids were probably shocked that I can repeat The words to not dozens of those songs, but hundreds. I mean hundreds, I'm not exaggerating, and that even catches me by surprise sometimes. I haven't heard that song in 30, 40 years and then all of a sudden I can remember every word. Now that's a good thing, I suppose, in some ways. Uh, I I was also blessed I probably know hundreds of hymns and things like that that I heard growing up, which is good. Well, you know we are listening to popular music there might be some good things in there and then there's some benign and then there's the ones every once in a while like whoa i can't sing that that's not a, that's not a good thing to say that's not a good lyric and that's not very edifying well you know there's something about this wonderful book called the book of psalms it is a hymn book and um in a different time in a different place when we talked about Daniel. How could such a young man be so mature, so prepared? Well, it's very likely that he had some rabbinical training as a youth. His parents probably, as we study that book of Daniel, probably put it in front of somebody who knew the Word of God and was going to help him become impressed and changed by it. Well, when I went to Bible college, one of my emphasis was to be involved in educational ministry. And I came across a book through one of my professors called Educational Ideals of the Ancient World by William Barclay. And he talks about the profound effect that the training of Jewish children, starting in the home, of course, but then as would be delegated, sometimes young boys, about six or seven, would go off and they would actually go live with a rabbi for a period of time with the sole goal of learning God's Word. To set a foundation for the rest of their life. And it's a tremendous uh, story that Barclay has researched about some of this training. Early on the first lesson, the first day they would get up, they would say, they would be with their prayers, and basically it would be next to the shoulder of the rabbi, side by side. And the first lesson was to turn to a passage similar to what we have in Psalm 19, and to open the scroll... And to begin to have that young boy take a a stylus and begin to trace the letters of that Hebrew scroll. And it would read, verse 7, "...the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes." The fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. And then you take a papyrus, and you begin to have that young boy copy those same letters onto a new sheet. And then he would take some honey and he would put it on the bottom of that sheet and he would ask him to put it up to his mouth and to taste it and to be reminded that this is what God's word is to him, what it should be to him. It is honey and sweetness. It is health to his body. And that was meant to be a multi-sensory imprint of the reverence that one should have for God's word rabbis many times when they'd opened the scroll, they bring it to their mouth, they'd kiss it. Wonderful sense and why the Jews are often called in ancient times people of the book, people of a text, because they so revered the fact that this was God speaking and capturing divine words for their lives. direction, guidance, wisdom, instruction, reproof correction insight all those things well we come to luke jesus also probably had some of that similar kind of training growing up remember he was in the temple at age 12 time where we would normally talk about a bar mitzvah that is this entrance of this young boy into Technically, adulthood, 12, 13 years old, they are now accountable to this law. They are to follow this law. They are to keep all the feasts and the special days and be a part of that as a man. And we find Jesus in Luke chapter 2 is there and he's engaging with the teachers in the temple and amazing them with his insight because those years, those preparatory years, six, seven, up to age twelve, he has been devoting himself to understanding God's law, his word, his teaching. Well, in this passage, or passages in Luke chapter eight, but I want to just set the stage a little bit <clears throat> because prior to Luke chapter eight, when we'll get there, Jesus' ministry is going on. And there are some people who won't listen to God's Word and surprisingly who some of these people are. But in Luke chapter 6, turn with me, and Jesus has been teaching. He's been teaching for some time. We'll see that soon the kind of a come and see phase of discipleship is coming to an end and He will be actually choosing 12 to be with Him and to be more intensively trained alongside of Him. But in Luke chapter 6, there are people that are just they're, they're, they're just hangers on. They're there because it's it's an interesting thing to do. It's fascinating to see this person who's not part of the in-group going about speaking with such authority and such power and also authenticating that power with miracles. But there's a disconnect. And Jesus says in verse 46, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug it deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood rose, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who build a house upon the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of the house was great. Jesus is attaching authority to his words. And he's saying, it's not just that you come out to hear me. That's a start. But are you doing what I'm saying? You call me Lord, but you don't have a submissive heart. To that lordship. You don't do the things I'm calling you to do. You see, at the same time, in the following chapter, there are some unlikely listeners. There's your blank unlikely listeners. First of all, in chapter 7, very next verse, it says, When he completed his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum, and a certain centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of the slave. And when they had come to Jesus, they earnestly entreated him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation. It was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was already not far from the house, and a centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say a word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to to this one, go. And he goes and to another, come. And he comes and to my slave, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the multitude that was following, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. And when those who had been sent away returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. You see, this man got it. He understands there is a Lord. There is somebody that not only speaks authoritatively, but his word is power. And this man was God-fearing and acknowledged that Jesus was somebody different than the other teachers of Israel. He realized that just with his word, he had the power to heal. An unlikely listener. In verse 29, Jesus was talking about the baptism of John and speaking glowingly of John's ministry. And he said, in verse 29, and when all the people and the tax gatherers heard this, he was speaking kind of explanatorily. They acknowledged God's justice having been baptized with the baptism of John. He's saying these people that you think are low class, that you hate because they're traitors to your people, They've had a heart to respond to God's word when it came forth. Of course, we know Jesus spent time in the house of tax gatherers and sinners and was ridiculed for it. But these were people that had bowed their heart to his authority as he spoke his words of life to them. Another unlikely person further down... In this passage, a prostitute, verse 36, "...and now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with them, And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner." as an immoral woman. "...and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume." And when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is an immoral woman, sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, and one owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet. With perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. He said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this, the man that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, this is all the preparation. Jesus' word is that. Double-edged sword that divides and separates. There are people who won't listen. And there are people unlikely who will. When we come to this passage in Luke chapter 8. We'll see that there is this same kind of effect that the Word of God has. And we have to monitor, Stella shared, we have to monitor what is the condition Of our heart. And so we see this passage in verse 4, chapter 8. When a great multitude were coming together, and those from various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. A sower went out to sow a seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. And other seed fell on rocky ground, and as soon as it grew up, It withered away because it had no moisture. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And other seed fell into the good ground and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And notice this. And as he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You have an opportunity to make a decision. I've just shared something. Are you paying attention? Are you understanding? Are you inquisitive? Do you wonder what it all means? Have you thought of that for yourself? And notice, we have very simple. The story says there's a sower, there's seed that is sown, and then there are the soils that receive or don't receive the seed. Simple story, well known, well seen, part of the everyday life, the agricultural experience of these people. They're probably wondering what's the point? What's the point? We know this is the normal path of what happens when seed is sown. We cast it about, it ends up lots of different places. Some of it germinates and grows, and some of it doesn't. What's the big deal? And the disciples began questioning as what this parable might be. See, there's a dilemma. Because the disciples didn't get it either. Why did you just tell us this? What's the point of the story? And Jesus says, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is in parables in order that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. You see, there is this experience the word is powerful but it's looking for a place to land that's receptive and jesus is saying if you look at the previous context i know there are people who have no interest i'm just a curiosity i'm just a circus sideshow to them i do amazing things and they walk their way but they don't connect the fact that these miracles i'm doing prove that I'm the Messiah. And so I'm just going to hide truth from them. They're not going to get it. Well, you know, this is the disciples' dilemma, right? Because they're saying, hey, wait a minute, we missed it too. What happened? You know, we're with you, Lord. What's going on? Why didn't we see it? Why don't we understand it? So Jesus takes the time to explain for us. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And this is a wonderful thing, isn't it? When you have scripture and interpret scripture. You, know, you don't have to wonder, Jesus is going to be a great interpreter here. There is a sower, which is not even mentioned in the explanation. We'll talk about that in a second. The seed is the word of God. And those beside the road, are those who have heard, then the devil comes away and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now don't get hung up on the word saved we're not just talking about saving justification we're talking about saving being delivered being rescued from something and we'll talk about more that this can have multiple meanings those on the rocky soil are those who when they hear receive the word with joy and these have no firm root they believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. And the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. They hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now, we're going to go back to these, and just by way, is the word of God goes out to unbelievers, true? True. Yes, yes. The Word of God many, many times over goes out to us who are believers. True. Is it possible that we can be any one of these four four soils as believers? Ask the question because the indication of of the hard soil, the soil that Satan comes along and takes away the word so that we may not believe and be saved the word sozo just means to be delivered to rescued and we'll see that there are correlating passages that talk about us being saved not spiritually saved but remember the work of sanctification is that we are being saved from the power of sin in a progressive way in our life over time that's a legitimate interpretation and use of the word saved our mind, our will, our emotions are being delivered over, as Elena read from Romans chapter 12, from a position of being conformed to the world to being transformed how? By the renewing of our mind, correct? So we need to be saved. We need to be delivered. We need to be sanctified in holiness as believers. And the Word of God is the instrument that the Spirit of God uses to change us. In Stella's testimony, was just wonderful. How the word of god came to her and it began to convict her and put something in front of her that mirror that james talks about and to help her see that i'm not in the right place and so with all of us that should be the goal but i'm going to ask you a very pointed question have you ever had a stubborn heart to the word of god uh, I'll, I'll raise my hand Yes, it is possible. The hard soil, the blank there, is a stubborn heart. A stubborn heart. We don't always like what we hear, do we? I mean, Paul warned Timothy. He says there's a time where people don't want to hear sound doctrine. They'll want to just have their ears tickled with something that sounds good. Something that's to their liking. And we need to guard the fact that a stubborn heart is a dangerous place to be. That means Satan has made some inroads. He's causing us to be repelled from the things that we should be soft and receptive to. It's not a good place to be. I can tell you from experience. The second is the rocky soil. Notice, they hear. They receive the word of joy, but they have no firm root. They believe for a while, and time of temptation fall away. This soil is the soil of the selective heart. The selective heart. There are people that want to hear the word of God, they just don't want to hear it all. Hey, talk about God's blessing. You know, that's the whole issue with the health and wealth gospel, isn't it? you can listen to some of these preachers that speak this kind of message and you will work long and hard till you ever hear them talk about suffering and persecution and living godly and as a result, you will suffer persecution. You'll have a hard time listening to a message that talks about disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness, about laying your life down, taking up your cross and following after Christ. You'll, you'll have a hard time finding those messages. A lot of times we don't, we just kind of skip over certain passages because they're too convicting, don't we? We don't, I don't think I want to listen to that right now. I think I'll turn my Bible to another place this morning. I want to hear about God's blessing. I want to hear about how God's going to comfort me. But I don't want to be convicted today we have to be careful that first of all we accept the whole counsel of god all of it we accept the instruction and in righteousness the correction the rebuke the training the discipline the passages that call us to obedience that call us to repentance well then there's the third the soil The soil which fell among thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of life. And they bring no fruit to maturity. And if there's ever a soil that evangelical America is, it's the thorny soil. So many distractions. So many things calling for attention. So many things to enjoy and do. So many things to recreate in and to watch and to experience. And the next thing you know, I haven't opened my Bible in weeks. Yes, that, that, that project at work, that's, that's really important. And yeah, I've got to get my kids here and have to do that. And next thing you know, it's, I might try to open my Bible and it's midnight and boom, I'm out. Wow. Wow. That's, this is a problem. This is a preoccupied heart. Preoccupied. Maybe good things, lots of good things that we have access to here in the States. It's the tyranny of the urgent that crowds out the important, isn't it? We heard it many times, we know it. But we just have to like stop and take a look. When was the last time I actually seriously opened God's word and sat quietly and let God speak to me and say whatever he needs to say? There is a problem with having soil that's thorny and weed laden. We become preoccupied, and we don't see fruit come to maturity. We don't see our life change over long periods of time. We're not consciously thinking about what it is that God is trying to develop in us as terms of a character, or godly discipline, or something. And then finally, there is the good the good soil. The seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. Hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. The good soil is the productive heart. The productive heart. You see, this is, this is kind of where we all should be, right? We all want to, I think in our, in, our, in our better selves, we know this is who I want to be. This is what I want my heart to be like. That. That I bow before God's Word when I hear it and I take it seriously and I engage it as it engages me. We see this wonderful thing that happens is that we bear fruit in a persevering, enduring way. Now, that's not the end of the story. Jesus goes on to say a, a few other things because there is this expectation. That's the interpretation. Now let's talk about the full application verse 16 jesus continues he's remember he's speaking to is he speaking to believers he's speaking to believers right he's talking to his disciples people that have already put faith in him he says now no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or put or puts it under bed but he puts it on a lamp stand in order that those who come in may see the light For nothing is hidden that shall not become evident, nor anything secret that shall not be known and come to light. Basically, Jesus is saying, as I'm setting up the next verse, he's saying, in the end, you can't hide who you are. Something will eventually come across your path, a trial will come, and you'll either have been the good soil that was prepared to encounter it with a godly response, or you're going to be lacking And one day, we're all going to be exposed, because one day we're going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, look, Brian, I gave you all this. What did you do with it? Believe me, I get goosebumps when I think about that day. <laughs> because like I said, I've been very blessed to have godly people pour into my life over years and years and years. Maybe so of you. Are we ready for that accountability? when there won't be anything hidden? Whether we were truly in the quiet of our our own experience, putting our heart and our lives open before the Lord for Him to do with it what He wants to do as He speaks to us? Well, here's the command, and you want to underline this, especially if you have your Bible with you. Therefore, Take care how you listen. That's a discipleship command. For all of us that follow Christ's disciples, Jesus just taught this whole story so he could say to us something authoritatively. Take care how you listen. When the word of God comes to you, whether you read it, you hear it on the radio, I, I, you hear it preach. I had a very big problem going to Bible college because I took this seriously. I'm thinking, Lord, I'm getting, I'm getting a fire hose of truth every day. I go to a chapel every day. I have people opening the Bible every day. How can I be accountable for all that you're giving me? That's that's a heavy thing. I took it very seriously, honestly. Take care of how you listen. Be fully engaged. For whoever has, to him shall more be given. Do you see this beautiful thing that Jesus is promising? If you are good stored with this that I'm giving you, I'm going to open something else to you. I'm going to give you insight. I want to help the scriptures come alive to you. I want to make applications real and rubber meets the road for you. But whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away. He's saying you can't go through the motions with the word of God. Because you'll think you had it, because you've heard a lot of messages, but when the time comes, you won't really have it. Your sword will be somewhere in dust. It will not be at your ready to use to fend off satanic attacks and temptations and false doctrines. You're going to be blown away and tossed about. You're going to be unprepared. We're still not done. Verse 19, and his mother and his brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. And he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God. And what? Do it. You see, to be relationally connected to Jesus, that's a given. That's the sovereign work of God, reaching down in mercy, convicting you, calling you to faith, and making you His child. But if you want to be relationally tight, that you want to be close to Jesus and not just relationally connected to Him, Jesus is saying, my true mother, my true brothers, not that His mother wasn't, but His brothers we know hadn't believed on Him. They didn't believe until after the resurrection. They still didn't get it. They were part of the people that... You know, the truth was kind of going over their heads. They just saw Jesus as their goody-two-shoes all over brother. And Jesus says, you want to be intimate, you want to be in my inner circle, respond to the word of God that I give you, and do it. And do it. See, the expectation, working our way backwards, is... uh, David was in John 15. Let's just look to see something correlated there. John 15, and we talked about this abiding experience, this relational connectedness where we abide in the vine as the branch. We abide in Jesus. He abides in us. Verse 7 of John 15 says, keep your finger back in Luke 8, if you abide in me, and what? And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You might be his disciple, but you'll prove to be his disciple when you're bearing fruit, when there's evident change and ministry manifestations that happen through your life and other people are touched and, you know, differences start to happen in their life as well said fruitfulness is the expectation why it says they bear fruit verse 15 luke 8 they bear fruit with perseverance the goal of the word of god coming inside of us and us responding in humility and responsiveness to it is that we mature and we we flourish and we bear fruit and we make kingdom results through this process But fruitfulness is based on diligent effort. Diligent effort, that's your blank there, letter B. Go back to verse 15 where we'll spend some time applying this. These are the ones that hold it fast. Hold it fast. What does it mean to hold it fast? Well, there's a definition there. It's a word "kateko." Greek word "kateko." It means to stick to something, to hold something down in place, like to fasten it down. It means to possess for oneself. I never talk about how you can do that, but that's the goal. When the Word of God comes to you, are you you holding on to it? Do you have like a grip like I'm holding this right now? Or is it kind of like passing through your fingers? takes diligent effort. It's also based on a prepared heart. Notice, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. I'm not a legalist. I really am not. I hate legalistic prescriptions, but you know what? Sometimes things are helpful. When you come to the word of God, you take time to empty yourself to confess your sin to make sure that you put aside i mean this is hard because we all have our preconceptions of the bible the scriptures we think we have figured it out we understand what the passage is but i remember a professor said to me we should all come to the scriptures with an empty bucket Basically, put aside all our preferences our preconceptions and whatever and say, God, I'm coming to your word fresh today. It is a living and active thing. Would you teach me afresh today? You're, you're free to convict me. You're free to call me to something. You're free to direct me. And come with a, a good heart. That's one that's Clean. no known sin that you haven't confessed. But it's also an honest heart. I had a professor, Professor Shupi, dear man, love the man. He was a great exhorter. I mean, I learned the gospel, the synoptic gospels. And we were talking about this process, you know, this, this process of encountering the Word of God in James chapter 1, as we studied that. And he says, you know what? He says, I want to tell you the hardest thing about preparing to be in ministry is that you have to be brutally honest with yourself. He emphasized the word brutally. In other words, don't fool yourself. Look, Look in that mirror and ask God to help you see exactly what he sees, warts and all. Because that's where change happens. You start to see the things that, that don't look like Christ. Be brutally honest with yourself. It's based on a prepared heart. Letter D, it's directed by Christ's words. This is a command. This is one of those things that Jesus said in, in the Great Commission. Teach my disciples to obey all that I've spoken we need to take this command seriously, that when we open the Word of God, are we caring about the disposition of our soul? Are we ready to hear and respond to do it? You see, there is <clears throat> there's a maxim I've developed some time ago, because I think sometimes I don't want to ride a high horse here, but we have been conditioned to to become a visual people. A visual people. Jesus didn't say, he who has eyes to hear, let him see. or, Or has eyes to see, let him see. He said, ears to hear. There's something very important about the process of auditorily taking something in versus visually taking something in. We all know it if you know anything about advertising, it's called subliminal impact. That what happens is when we see something visually, we're already guided to a certain concept of belief about it. By the way, it's, the art's there, the way it's put together, whatever. When somebody speaks something or we hear something auditorily, we have to engage it with our own imagination. We have to, in a sense, process it for ourselves. Now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with visuals. I'm not. I'm just saying that there is an emphasis. And I remind you that for the vast majority of history, people have had to learn truth auditorily. It was the rare person who had their own scroll. If you had any of the scriptures, it's because you went to the synagogue and you copied it out, little portions for yourself. So it was dependent upon people learning how to listen attentively. And so this is the maximum. Listen. First word, listen. Really listen. Be attentive. Listen to remember. Listen to remember. That's the whole idea of, of the beauty of a song, isn't it? That you're connecting music to words and you're creating a stronger bond in your mind to remember something listen to remember or in essence you might have to memorize which I love when Shirley comes and you know demonstrates her her investment in memorizing God's word it's it's a great encouragement to me we all need to listen to remember to memorize But that's not enough, because the focus of the Scriptures, when God calls us to engage His Word, is with the goal to meditate. In other words, the reason we memorize something is so that we have it fresh and we can turn it over and over and over. It's kind of the idea of the cow chewing the cud. It gets more nourishment the more it chews it, you know? So we listen to remember to meditate. That's that's where the real interactions with our soul and our heart and the Holy Spirit, as again, Stella just shared so, so sweetly that she heard what the Spirit was saying to her. And she realized, I have to do something with God's Word. I can't just walk away from it. I have to face what needs to happen. We meditate on it listen to remember to meditate to do meditate to do when you have come to grips with the fact that the spirit of God just told you something that clearly you know you're supposed to do you have a big choice I'm going to be a disobedient follower of Christ I'm going to be obedient follower of Christ I now have a crisis I have to make a decision when God tells me is here was talking about when we talk about forgiveness and you know making things right with other people when god brings that person to mind or you're sitting at the at the lord's supper and you're exposed before the lord and you know there's not something right with you and somebody else do you obey the lord when he says leave your offering and go be reconciled to that person that's what we should do that's the immediate response then come back present your offering Listen, to remember, to meditate, to do, to teach, to teach. You see, if you really want to have God's Word as yours, that it can't be ripped out of your hand, step into the scary spot of teaching somebody else what you've learned. Because you know what that does? That creates a very wonderful thing, accountability for you and a blessing to someone else as you're imparting something that God personally taught you that now you want them to understand and learn and apply for themselves. Listen, to remember, to meditate, to do, to teach. You see, one of the things I learned about learning, and I won't put you on the spot, but within about three to six hours after Pastor Dave's message last week, you only had about 60 to 65% of what he said. And that's if you were really attentive. By this Sunday, you probably only have about 30% or less. If you didn't engage that truth again in a reviewing personal way, if you didn't let that sink in. There are techniques. The reason I give you no pages. If you listen, you read, you write, you just engage more senses. You've now put something into your own words. You've thought about it, and you've put it in a way that you it makes sense to you. Now you meditate on that. You think about that lesson that this Holy Holy Spirit was teaching you. If you go and teach what you have done and you have applied your retention rate goes up to nearly 90%. Do you see the value? That's what Jesus is saying. Be careful how you listen so that you go through the work and the process of bearing fruit with perseverance. You have to get to the point. And we're commanded, Ephesians says, we're to speak the truth in love to one another so that we're not tossed about but that the body is supplying, not just the gifted speakers, but the body is supplying, speaking the truth to one another in love. That we should always be sharing something from God's Word. See, there is some wonderful correlations. I told you that. You know, I didn't want you to get hung up on the word save or saved or salvation. But if you turn to James chapter 1, this is back when... I think our brother Pastor Mike Lowe spoke on this passage when we went through James. James chapter one, verse nineteen. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. What is that? That's having that good and honest heart, isn't it? You see, James is a very recent book to the time of Jesus' teaching. And James is just saying, yeah, Jesus said it this way. He said, have a good and honest heart. I'm saying, put aside all filthiness, all that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to what? What does it say? Save your soul. It's able to save your soul. It's able to deliver your mind from false teaching and deceitfulness. It's able to deliver your will from a stubborn response and to condition you to have a soft heart of flesh that's responsive and obedient. It's able to deliver your emotions from fear and anger and jealousy when we receive it. Prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks in his face natural face in the mirror and once he's looked at himself and gone away he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was but the one who looks intently at the perfect law the law of liberty and abides by it not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer this man shall be blessed in what he does you know wonder how the scriptures don't ever contradict each other like they keep reinforcing and reminding us of the same things maybe different words a different speaker a different writer but the same truth. I might add, if we turn to Ezra 7, let me just speak to you if you speak the word to others on a regular basis. It's a tremendous privilege. I'll remind you of that, first of all. And I, I completely acknowledge that. And I'm very thankful for the opportunities I've had to be in this pulpit. But I'd love, this is something that when I studying through this in Bible college, I underlined it. And I wrote, it says, follow this, follow this, follow this. Ezra chapter 7. Again, this was another occasion when the law got lost. You know, just like Josiah's time, this is after the exile, they come back and, man, people have been, kind of had a dearth of, of God's law in a systematic way for a long time. 70 years, roughly. And Ezra was a scribe, skilled in law, Moses, verse 6. And he says the people need to be reintroduced to the law of God. They need to understand what God's requiring. When we come to worship, how we go about doing it? We are so out of practice. And notice what Ezra does first. says the good hand of God was upon him, verse 9, verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. To study it, to do it, to teach it. Starts with you. First Timothy. We're quickly, I'm not gonna give you all these, but we'll soon close. First Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's instruction to Timothy, verse 14, do not neglect, and by the way, right before that, verse 13, give attention to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching, wonderful. Verse 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Notice verse 15. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. First place the word of God needs to lodge is me, if I plan to teach it. it I, I need to have that. There has to be this consistency that the scriptures are first applied to me and then through me to those that hear me. Notice verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure what? What's the word? Salvation. Deliverance. Once again, context. Both for yourself and for those who hear you. I don't need to be saved again. That is justified again. I need my soul to be saved from lots of things that are wrong about me. Might also write down Second Timothy four verse 2. First Peter four verse eleven a says, if your gift, if you have a spiritual gift to speak God's word, your teacher, exhorter, prophet, um, you know, it says, speak as if it were the very utterances of God. You don't go up there with your opinion. You're going up there to tell people, "Thus saith the Lord." That's your goal. That's your responsibility. Whether you're teaching the four-year-olds in Sunday school, give them the word. Give them, or, you know, First Peter commands us to be like a baby and desire the sincere milk of the word that we can grow by it. We have a great responsibility this morning. i just giving you a very step-by-step way how you can become a productive hearer of god's word let's pray that god does that work in all of us our father we are so grateful for the stewardship of your word it is a a weighty burden though it is a weighty accountability a weighty stewardship as you said that there are great blessings we can be like the man in psalm 1 who meditates day and night whose leaf does not wither and whatever he does prosper Father, we can deceive ourselves and we can be around the Word and we can hear the Word and we can be acquainted with it and we can know so many things intellectually about the Word, Lord, but you call us to be transformed by it. And so we pray, dear Lord, that your Spirit would be free to work in each of our hearts to make this a reality. And we'll give you the praise because... We will have reason for great rejoicing when we see the fruit that is born in a persevering way. We ask in Christ's name.